We've just been praying and asking God to speak what is true from His Word and to show us things that would shed light on our hearts from Him. It's my prayer this morning. I'm going to pray it with my eyes open. I hope that's okay. My prayer this morning is that everybody in the room would experience that. That all of us would experience God telling us today what is true about Himself. Not what we're afraid is true. Not what we think might be true. But that He would do this for all of us. Speak to us what is true about Himself. Amen. So we're in a series where we're taking snapshots from different books of Scripture so that we get a a sense for how God speaks to us from all of His Word. Last week we looked at Isaiah. Today we're looking at the next book of the Bible by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is going to speak to us today, Jeremiah chapter 31, about several things that we know we want and along the way something else we may not be aware that we want. The things we know we want are here, reconciliation. If I am in a relationship that is broken, can it be restored? Forgiveness. If it is my stubbornness and my self-centeredness and my sense of autonomy and having my way at all costs and my sense of self-justification, I can always find a way to say it was your fault. If, if I am the one that caused that relationship to break, can I be forgiven? Integrity. Can I be the kind of person who lives out what I say I believe? Can I be the kind of person who, who says I'm loving and then really practices it? And finally, relationship. Is it really possible to have an intimate relationship with another person? To know them for who they really are? And especially in the context of Jeremiah 31, is it possible to have that kind of relationship with God? Is it possible to know Him for who He really is and for Him to know me for who I really am and find a way to forgive me (laughs) and love me with an everlasting love anyway? Those are the things we know we want. What we may not realize we want is we want to be part of a covenant relationship. Even if you don't know what the word covenant is, if you want those things, then you want to be part of a relationship that Scripture describes as a covenant. So as we hear from Jeremiah 31, we're going to hear a Scripture reading. Keep your ears tuned for these things and how they're all wrapped up in a relationship called a new covenant. James? The scripture today is from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the prophet Jeremiah was depicted by a famous artist in a famous place, right? The Sistine Chapel in Rome, the ceiling of that chapel, depicts lots of characters from Scripture. And this is Michelangelo's depiction of Jeremiah. And he looks pretty downcast, right? If you, if you take a good hard look, this does not look like a man who's overflowing with joy. It doesn't look like he's getting ready to share a lot of good news with people. If you look at the figures in the background, the women there, now I, I haven't studied, I'm not a student of art history in the way that I'd like to be, so I don't know fully what Michelangelo intended by depicting these women the way that he did, but they look to me like I see them as representations of the people who are going to hear Jeremiah's message. And it looks like the more they hear, the sadder they get. Why is that? Well, it has to do with macaroni, actually. So there's family lore in the Egan family, and I'm not going to mention any names, and I'm going to try to obscure as much as I can to protect the guilty. But it wasn't Tricia. It happened in another generation, right? And it wasn't even any of our kids. We're backing up earlier generations. There's this story about a newlywed bride who's really excited to feed a first home-cooked meal to her new husband. And she called her mother to get the recipe for homemade macaroni and cheese, and your mouth's starting to water already if you like this, right? It's, it's all the milk, it's all the cream, it's the eggs, it's the salt and the pepper, it's cheese and cheese, and then you add some more cheese, and it's macaroni and cheese, so you start with the macaroni, right? And that's the first step in the recipe. And um, so this newlywed bride is preparing the meal according to the recipe, and like most good cooks, you know, sampling it a bit to taste and make sure everything's coming along well. And it seems very crunchy, even after cooking for quite a while. So picking up the phone and calling mom and saying, I, something's not right. If you're mom at that moment, you have only bad news to deliver, right? <laughs> Here's the bad news. No matter what you do, it's not going to get any better. No matter what you do, it won't be enough. Because if you started without boiling the noodles first, you can put more cheese in there. It's not going to work out right. You can put more salt and pepper. It's not going to work out right. You can put more milk. It doesn't matter what you do at this point. It's not going to get any better. Nothing you do will be enough 
You ever had to deliver that kind of message to somebody? I know you want it to be better. I know you want to make it right. But it was so far gone at the beginning that nothing you do can change it. That's why Jeremiah was depicted this way. Because that was the message that he had to deliver to a certain part of God's people in his day. Messenger of bad news. And the bad news was for the kingdom of Judah. We've talked about this a few times, but there was a point at which all of God's people were united as one nation, generally called Israel, under the early kings, the most faithful of whom was David. But then there came a point a couple of generations later where the kingdom split into two parts. Some people saying, yes, we want to continue having a descendant of David as our king because God said that was his plan and purpose for us. And other people saying, no, we can do better. We can improve on God's plan. And so the kingdom split into the northern kingdom called Israel. I know it's confusing. Sometimes Israel means all of this united as one people before the split, but then Israel comes to mean just that northern kingdom. By the time Jeremiah writes, that kingdom has gone into exile. The Assyrian Empire has conquered them and spread them all over the face of the earth. And Jeremiah is writing to this southern kingdom called Judah. And he's saying, you too are going to go into exile. And no matter how much you do, it won't be enough. The prophet of bad news. Why? Why was he saying this? Well, it starts with this word covenant. Jeremiah, the the passage that we heard read, talks about a new covenant. Well, new covenant is not going to make any sense unless we understand what a covenant is. What's a covenant? Solemn pledge. Solemn because there's a lot at stake. Pledge. Serious commitment of life and love and loyalty that unites one person or one group to another. In the case of Scripture... It's God's solemn pledge uniting himself to us in a covenant relationship. God saying, I will give you the gift of life. I will give you my love forever. I will give you my loyalty and faithfulness. I will always be your God. And then we pledge back to him, we will give you our whole lives. We will give you our wholehearted love And we will give you our loyalty forever. That's a covenant relationship with God. He expresses that pledge to us. We respond by expressing it back to Him. God entered into that kind of relationship with His people. And um, if you look in Exodus chapter 19, you you get a short description of this relationship. So God has just delivered his people from Egypt and slavery. He's already given them the gift of freedom, of a better kind of life, of justice, of freedom from oppression. And then he says to them, I I want you now 
to return back to me the same kind of covenant loyalty and kindness that I've just shown you. And so in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, you hear God saying, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Obedience is a sign that we're living out the loyalty that we're pledging to God. Obedience is not the way we earn our way into the covenant. Obedience is not the way we make God free us from Egypt. Remember in the the story, he's already delivered us and our people from slavery. And now he's saying, obey as a way of showing that you're loyal to me, the covenant God. If you'll obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the design in this covenant relationship where God says, I want to make you into a kingdom of priests. People who draw others into this covenant relationship with me. The whole earth is mine. I want to draw people from every nation into this kind of covenant love with me. And you're going to be the priests I use to do that. You're going to draw the nations into this kind of love. How will you do that? You will live this kind of love out in this place I'm giving you, the crossroads of the ancient world, where every empire that needs to get somewhere is going to have to come through your land. And they will see what a relationship of love with me looks like. And you're going to be a light to the nations. And if you do not honor this covenant relationship, then I will root you up out of that land because you will, you will be then darkness to the nations. You will be showing the nations a wrong vision of what relationship with me looks like. And that would be disastrous. So I will have to remove you from that place. That's the background of what Jeremiah is saying. And so then there's this long history of attempts at renewing the covenant under Joshua as they enter the promised land, under King Hezekiah, and then later, two years before Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, under the greatest king Israel ever knew, Josiah. Josiah who sees that we are so far from honoring this covenant. Something has gone dreadfully wrong. And we need to pledge our hearts back to the Lord. And so Josiah does that. He says, God, forgive us. We have been worshiping you alongside all these other gods and goddesses. We've been sending the nations the signal that loving you with just part of our heart is okay. When it's not. We've been sending the nations around us the signal that you can get some life from God and other life from other sources. And that you can give God some of your love and give the rest of your love to someone else. And you can pledge Him some of your loyalty and part of your obedience. But in other areas... Give your obedience where you darn well choose. And Josiah sees that and he says, it shouldn't be this way. So here and now, God, I pledge before you that I will honor this relationship with you. 
And in 2 Kings chapter 23, you can read where the whole people of Judah said, we will too. And then Josiah died and his son became the king. And 2 Kings says, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father's. And then that son died and the grandson became the king and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his fathers. And then his uncle became the king and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So Josiah, as great as he was, couldn't boil the noodles. Something had gone dreadfully wrong and And as faithful as he was, his faithfulness was not enough to make it right. The book of Jeremiah is all a response to this, which is why it feels sometimes like hopelessness. Jeremiah's nickname is the weeping prophet. That's why Michelangelo painted him the way he did, the weeping prophet. Because in Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, God, I wish my eyes were a fountain of tears because my heart is so broken at what I have to tell your people. I have to tell a stubborn and hard-hearted people who continue. They long for reconciliation with you, but their hearts are still hard against you. They want forgiveness, but they will not receive it because they want their own way. They want intimate relationship with you, God, but they can never have it because They will always rebel against this covenant relationship with you. They've proven it time and time and time again. And I wish I could just cry forever and ever and ever because I have all this bad news to deliver. Here's some good news. We said earlier in our worship service that good news and bad news are often very closely related. You have to go through a valley to get to the mountaintop. Jeremiah was not just a weeping prophet. It wasn't all bad news. Now, on the one hand, it was bad news. If the noodles aren't cooked, there is nothing you can do to make it right. If your heart is set against God, then you can have as many covenant renewal ceremonies as you want. You can have as many faithful kings as you want stand up and say, we recommit our whole hearts to the covenant God. But if my heart is the problem, if giving you my whole heart is what is making it wrong, then my bringing my whole heart to you is never going to make it right. If my heart is addicted to justifying myself and saying it is always somebody else's fault, then bringing that kind of heart to God is not going to make it right. If my heart is addicted to saying, God, that's a good idea, but I can do better, then my heart is never going to make it right. But here's the good news. You find out from Jeremiah 31, there is nothing we can do, but there is something God can do, and it is more than enough. God can make a new covenant He can start the recipe all over again. He can do what we can't. 
So listen to this description of the new covenant and the way it does all these things that we long for. We want reconciliation with God. Can we have it? Well, verse 32 says that we can. Right? It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Can there be reconciliation between God the husband and the people, his bride? We have broken the pledge of loyalty to him, our covenant husband. Can there be reconciliation? Yes, There can be a new covenant that's not like that broken one. Can we have forgiveness? Uh, Yeah, read the end of verse 34, right? I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. This power over them will be broken. Can there be integrity? Yeah. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. When they say I'm their God, they will actually live it out. It's a new covenant. You can have these things that you long for. Can you have relational intimacy even with God who sometimes seems so distant and far away and hard to please and Yeah, verse 34. Nobody will have to teach them to know me because they will all know me. They won't know me for what they're afraid I am. They won't know me for what they think I am. They will know me for who I really am. You hear the good news in all of this? It's bad news to hear. There's nothing we can do about it. It is good news to hear that God will do something to make it right. He will soften what has been hard. He will change our hearts so that we can have this new kind of relationship with Him. And by the way, we get to live that relationship out with everyone we know. We get to be people of integrity in how we treat our neighbors. We get to be people of justice. We get to be people of reconciliation. We get to be people who know the reality of forgiveness been so changed by this covenant relationship that we become that kind of covenant people. What's new about this covenant? Well, first, let's ask what isn't. What's not new? God wants to be in a relationship with his people. That's not new about the new covenant. Sometimes we imagine, well, you know, God before, back in the Old Testament, God was kind of hard, harsh, and It was all about the externals, but then it became about a real relationship with him when Jesus came. It's not true. What's new isn't that God wants a relationship with us. What's new is we want a relationship with him as badly as he does. What's new is the noodles got boiled. We were changed. Nothing went wrong with him. This is what's new. What's new isn't, oh, God gives commandments. 
and obeying them as a way of expressing our love and loyalty for Him. Listen again to what Jeremiah says. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. New covenant people are just as eager to obey God's commandments. In fact, even more so. Because now our hearts are soft toward the Lord. We want to know what His instructions are for our living with Him and with each other. We want to obey. That's not different. What's different is now we have a new power to do that because our hearts have been transformed and changed. Can I mention one last thing that is new? So now we want relationship with God as much as He wants it with us. That's a reality of the new covenant. And now we have a new power to obey Him. And that's a reality of the new covenant. Here's one more thing that's new. We always needed a faithful king to stand up and say, I will lead you in the way of loyalty to the God who has loved us. And now we know a whole lot more about the king who leads us in that way. Under the new covenant. Stay, stay tuned for the Lord's Supper. I have a feeling we might hear something about this as we gather around the table. Jesus is the king who has always given God his whole heart, his whole life, all his love, all his loyalty. We now know more about what that faithfulness took and what it looked like and what it was named and who it was. We know the king. I took this picture on the top of a mountain near Boone, North Carolina last year. Our daughter Caroline and I got to go hiking together. And if you ever are exploring around Boone and you see a spot on your map called Eagle's Nest, go there. Um, You get to drive most of the way and then walk about a mile So if you can do Stone Mountain, you can do this, right? And this is the payoff at the top. 360 degrees of splendor. And one of the things you notice when you stand there is, A, everything looks pretty close to you. It's like that mountain is just over there. And that next mountain is just over there. And if we wanted to, we could just start walking right now and be there in a couple hours, right? Forgetting how long it took us to walk the one mile up here, everything looks real close, like it's just over there. And in this particular spot, you not only get treated to all the mountains, you get to see the valleys. There's this really deep gorge that runs right here. And you can go elsewhere and see these incredible waterfalls as they spill down into the gorge. And that's why you know just over there ain't just over there. Because you would have to go all the way down through that valley to come up to that next mountain top. And this is, how, this is how Scripture works. Jeremiah says, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is we're going to have to go through a deep valley. God is going to root us up out of our land because we have not boiled the noodles. We have been so unfaithful to him. And we've been sending all the wrong messages to the nations around us about who he is. 
But at the end of that, we will come up onto this peak where he will bring us back to the land. But where we want to go ultimately is, is over there. And God is going to send the king. He's going to send his anointed son. He's going to send Jesus. And Jesus will walk through the deepest valley that any of God's people have ever known. He will suffer more. He will experience more indignity compared to his majesty. The humiliation he will be exposed to. He will go through this deep valley of death, crucifixion, judgment, all of God's wrath being poured out on him. And then will come resurrection and glory and that next mountain peak. And Jesus will ascend to the highest height and you can't get more glory and goodness and intimacy with God than Jesus is now experiencing after his resurrection. And that's good news for us because where the king goes, the people get to go one day. But we get there on the other side of a valley, and we're in that valley right now. And that valley is, right now, we, we are people who want the closest imaginable relationship with God. And, and we really do love him, but we don't yet love him with perfect faithfulness and perfect loyalty. And if people in this room say, you know what, in town, your Bible says that you're supposed to be people who have God's laws written on your heart, and I do not see that every day. We would have to say, you are right. We're in a valley. And and there is greater faithfulness in us right now than would be possible if we didn't love Jesus. But we're not on the same mountaintop that Jesus is on right now. But on the other side of this valley that we're in, Jesus will lead us to the next mountain ridge and we will share in the fullness of the glory of who he is. There will be a day when we won't have to tell each other what it's like to know God, because all of us will fully know it. There will be a day when we don't have to say, I know I'm supposed to be a person of reconciliation, but I have damaged our relationship, and will you forgive me? There will be a day when we won't do that ever again. Jesus is already experiencing that day. He has gone through the valley. He is now on the top of that mountain ridge, and he will lead us there. And that's God's plan for how he will draw the nations to himself. And little old us get to be a light to the world saying, we're not on the mountaintop yet. We're on the way there. Do you want to walk with us? Do you want reconciliation for broken relationships? We do too. We know someone who can give it. Do you want integrity? Do you want forgiveness? We do too. We want to practice it more, more faithfully than we do right now. Do you want that? So do we. We know someone who can lead us there. Will you walk with us? 
And some of you are saying, how nice he's talking to the non-Christians in the room. I am and I am not. I am talking to every one of us. If you are currently walking with us, will you keep walking with us? Will you keep following Jesus all the way to the end? I am glad if you're following Jesus today, I am thankful. But will you keep walking with him all the way through the valley? He will lead you faithfully. He is the Lord of covenant love. Can we walk together? Follow him? Let's pray for a minute. Lord Jesus, some of us in the room need to accept your invitation to walk with you. Some of us have accepted that invitation, and we want to accept it again today, right here, right now. Would you draw us to yourself by your faithfulness, love, and mercy, we pray in your name. Amen.